0: name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Today is a special feast day in the church. It's a story that we don't actually get very often. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hands because that doesn't feel fair, but I suspect that for some people this is the first time you've heard this gospel story because we only hear it when this feast day happens to fall on a Sunday. It's always the second of February, And so you would only hear this when the 2nd of February is a Sunday. And it's a very interesting, sort of neat story about Jesus that we just don't hear all that often. It refers to the custom at the time that some of our Jewish brothers and sisters still practice of bringing an infant, particularly the firstborn boy, to the temple to receive God's blessing. And in some cases, to offer him as a A child who will eventually be part of the priestly line, because that was the expectation. So if you're a firstborn boy in your family, by the way, I'd like you to reimagine your life as a priest, because that was what was expected of you. And so Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, and they offer him. They ask for God's blessing, and they offer him as someone who will grow up in the covenant, who will go to synagogue, who will study scripture, who will be part of the people of Israel. And what's interesting about this story is that as many times as it happened before and after, because this was a common practice, something expected of faithful families, this particular day and this particular story is very, very different. Because in this moment, the child that's presented is also the child of God, the very substance, the very being, the matter of God. And what's interesting is that the first time I realized that we were going to hear this story today is I thought, that's going to be the easiest sermon ever. Because Mary and Joseph present Jesus to God, to the temple, to the world. How easy is it going to be for me to stand up on the day of our annual meeting and talk about all of the ways that we tell that good story and present Jesus to the world? Because there's lots of ways. With your hands and your heart and the way that you're involved in this community and our larger community in Wilton and outside Wilton and the rest of the world, there are lots of ways that we tell the story. Lots of ways that we offer Jesus to the people around us. And so I started writing that sermon, and I tried to keep writing it, and it became clearer and clearer that God was not pleased with that, (laughs) and that that was not what I was supposed to say this morning. Because if you actually look at the text and try to figure out where we would be in the story, we are not Mary and Joseph. We are not the parents of the child. We are not the ones who get to offer Jesus in this sort of really intimate, beautiful, loving way. We aren't the givers. We're the receivers. And if there's anyone in this text that we actually are, it's Simeon and Anna. And these are two really sort of fascinating people. People that seem to have a a deep, strong connection to the temple. The text tells us that Simeon has been waiting his whole life, his whole life, to see salvation, to see the Messiah. And for some reason, the Spirit leads him to believe that he will see the Messiah before he dies. And that's the moment that we have in the gospel. Somehow the Spirit leads him into the temple at just the right moment, and he takes this child in his arms the way that any of the priests would take an offering, whether it was an offering of food or animals to God, he takes the child in his arms and holds the child up. And he knows. Somehow in the face of this child, he's able to find the Messiah, the one coming into the world, the one who would perform miracles and walk on water and raise the dead to life and lead us all to transformation. He looks down into the eyes of this child and can see that God has made good on God's promises, that finally God has acted, that Israel would be restored, and that the whole world would be renewed. And he utters these words that probably you've heard in worship somewhere else before. We often say it at evening prayer, in particular. Choirs usually sing it in lovely settings. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen the Savior whom you have prepared for all the world to see a light to enlighten the nations, and the glory of your people Israel. The part I always get stuck on is, my eyes have seen the Savior. Imagine what that must have been like for him. This was the only thing he ever wanted. And God grants him the ability with his eyes to see the renewal of the world, to see salvation had come. And so he rejoices, and he offers us this text, this this poem that we have said for generations that reminds us that God has acted. And the story is much the same for Anna, though we get less of her, of course. We don't get text, we don't get what she says necessarily, we just get the, the sort of reference to the fact that she talks about who he will be and what he will do. We also get to see the, the text call her a prophet, which is important. And probably the spirit leads her into a place in the temple to see this happening where she actually probably wasn't supposed to be. So there's that too. But in the same way as Simeon, the spirit leads her in and gives her this vision. And in every sort of artistic rendering that I've ever seen of this moment, she is usually eyes closed, hands up, much like the way we celebrate communion, much like the way I stand when I pray. Either that or she's sort of arms out reaching for this child. And there's something that is sort of immeasurable about her face. It's, it's joyful. Because like Simeon, this hope that she's waited for her entire life has finally come true. But what the text doesn't do for us, which is often my frustration, is tell us what happens next for them. It sort of abruptly stops. It tells us that Jesus goes home and he grows and he prepares for the work he's going to do. And then Luke jumps into the next narrative about John the Baptist, and, and that's kind of the end of this episode. But what it doesn't tell us is what happens to Anna and Simeon. It doesn't tell us what goes on with them after that. And so I have to sort of imagine that as they left the temple that morning, as they climbed down the big stone steps, They knew that they had shared something special together. And they had this really good news, and I want you to think about a time in your life when you had really good news that you couldn't hold, whether it's because you got engaged or you found out you were pregnant or you or your kid got into the school they always wanted to go to. Maybe it was a sporting event, maybe it was a near miss when someone you love almost didn't come home and then they did. When we have good news like that, What do we do with it do we go home and take a nap and pull the covers over our heads (laughs) do we decide not to tell it to anyone ever do we go into hiding do we sort of bury it of course not we tell everyone we can right sometimes we maybe if we're good we try not to brag about it depending on what it is but but we share it we celebrate we throw parties our family throws parties for us we call our friends we tell everyone the good news. And so on this bright and joyful and breathless morning as, as Simeon and Anna leave the temple, I have to imagine that that's what they go and do. Because they've seen something that no one else has seen. And because they're convinced that God is doing this brand new thing. We are not Mary and Joseph. If we are faithful, if we are lucky, if we try to follow, if we do our best, if we follow the leading of the Spirit, we are Simeon and Anna. If we follow the Spirit into the temple and look for Jesus, if we're able to look into his eyes and see that promise of peace and hope, if we're able to live in the way that he shows us to follow his path, then we are Simeon and Anna, who have this breathless, joyful experience, who have to learn how to tell the story. And that actually is sort of perfect for a day when we will have a meeting after the service and talk about the work of this place. Because what we share here is that same special, joyful, breathless thing. We just have to get a little better at figuring out how to share that with everyone else. The text doesn't tell us how to do that, but that's okay. You all are pretty creative. And I think that at this point in our life together, we have this special thing to share. We are tremendously blessed in this place, in a whole host of ways. And I know that when I say that, you think about a couple of standard things, but what I really mean is by the people of this place, and the gifts of this place, by the hands and hearts of this place, the people who chip in, the people who step up to play the organ (laughs) when they're not really prepared to do it because they've only had a half hour's notice, by the choir that is adjustable and leads and comes and sort of off-roads with us. We're blessed with an abundance of voices. We're blessed with an abundance of resources. And more than any place I've ever seen, this place has a, a temperature and a spirit to it that is different, that is breathless and joyful, like that, like that morning when you found that most precious thing. So I'd ask you to consider this morning that the work we're about to, to do at this table and then at our meeting, is not just about details and numbers and reports. It's about how we tell this story. It's about how we use what we have to unfold the promise of God. The same promise that Simeon and Anna find in this child. The promise of hope, the promise of peace, the promise of renewal, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. What we're about here is really the the telling of this story and the invitation for other people to know that same breathless, joyful, I can't help but share this news feeling. If you don't feel that way about your faith this morning, I hope that when you come to this table, you'll open yourself up to it again, to meeting that Jesus who walks on water and performs miracles and raises the dead to life and invites us into transformation. And I hope that when you stay after the service for the meeting, that you will look at all of our work together with that lens. How are we telling the good news of Jesus? How are we in the world and the spheres that we occupy inviting more people to know this joy? How are we living his way, following his path together? And it all starts with that moment of hopeful, breathless, Amen. Please stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.